Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. Montreal comedian Mike Ward was ordered to pay $42,000 by a human rights tribunal for making jokes about a child singer with disabilities. Montreal's comedians and arts community is outraged at what they say is an assault on freedom of expression, our constitutionally guaranteed right, in the interest of political correctness. Julius Gray, Montreal constitutional lawyer and lawyer for Mike Ward, joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Julius, I apologize for making you wait. Whoa, it's nothing. It's very interesting. Um, Mike Ward has been dubbed a rude, in-your-face, feelings-hurt, offensive comedian. Fair description? I think so. Uh, not not of all his uh, numbers, but yes, it's a fair description. He has no, he has few inhibitions. And, and uh, most but right. most people who are familiar with comedy are familiar with the fact that Mike Ward is that kind of comedian. Yes, and in fact, that comedy is only very funny if it hurts. Comedy is not uh, always a good-natured, uh, a little panning uh, on words. Comedy can be mordant can be satirical, and in many, many societies, many societies that were uh, quite repressive, comedy was one of the safety valves. People could make fun. Right. Exhibit A, Chris Rock. Yeah, well. For me. So, so explain to us, please, what the, what the situation was. What happened to, well, to, I don't for the HR the details of this particular case because it's going to appeal. Well, let me ask and you just certainly... this. What, what, what did the Human Rights Tribunal, how did they decide that Mike Ward has to pay $35,000 to Jer- Jeremy Gabriel, a child singer with disabilities, 5000 in moral damages to Jeremy's mother, and another 2000 in punitive damages to Jeremy's they mother? Make, I think the tribunal, as most of the human rights tribunals have in Canada, has a jurisprudence which, uh, although it pays lip service to freedom of expression, puts every other consideration, or as you put it, political correctness, ahead of freedom of expression. In other words, we're living in a society where it's dangerous to talk, and it's particularly dangerous to talk about any controversial subject, yet that, those are the subjects that are worth having comedy about. I mean, you'd, you'd have a hard time uh, joking about uh, women, about gays, about uh, uh, Israel, about the Arabs, about the Muslims, about anything that's controversial. I'm not taking any position right now. But I think we're quickly reaching a a situation where most people are going to be very careful before they speak. And be very careful also, because most people, say festivals and and, uh, newspapers and so on, are insured. And their insurers are going to tell you, don't publish anything controversial, because the tribunal is going to condemn you, and we're going to end up paying. So I, I really think that something has to be done to put freedom of expression in its proper place. Yes, there are some limits, you know, the Official Secrets Act, uh, privacy, uh, when it's somebody who's not at all in the public arena and he's just being dragged in with his things. Uh, there are also limits, but the limits have to be difficult to reach. And when somebody goes into the public arena as a singer and so on, he has to expect to have mordant humor about him. Mm-hmm. Now, let me just give a little background. Ten years ago, Jeremy was flown to the Vatican to sing for Pope Benedict. He has an illness called Treacher's Collins Syndrome, TCS, which disfigures those who are afflicted with it. So the um, question is, should that make the boy off-limits for jokes about him? That's one question. The other question is, what does the Constitution say about freedom 
of expression in specific cases. Now, Mike Ward thought, from what I read, that uh, Jeremy had visited the Pope as a Make-A-Wish Foundation, which come true for a terminally ill child. That wasn't the case, and Mike Ward said, but now, five years later, and he's still not dead, I defended him like an idiot, and he won't die. He also said Jeremy was ugly. So, uh, Julius, what exactly does the Constitution allow us Canadians uh, as far as freedom of expression is concerned? I think uh, my interpretation of the Constitution, and this is what I'll tell you, is that it allows untrammeled freedom of expression with a number of very limited exceptions. The exceptions are hate, uh, inciting to hate, which this is not. Nobody suggested it was. Um, The Official Secrets Act, um, private libel of people who are not in the public arena and have not asked to be uh, to have their uh, privacy disturbed apart from that i think generally speaking freedom of expression should be robust and when there is any question uh, of somebody saying well i was hurt he's free to talk back he's free to be indignant i'm not at all criticizing anybody who criticized mike ward nor is he the question is should our society use its courts, its uh, powers of coercion, to restrict speech except in those very narrow areas? And to me, the answer is if we do, we're going to get a society of narrow conformists, of people who always think twice before co- talking. And it's going to be absolutely the um, uh, paradise of the politically correct. Well, I can tell you it's already happening. It's happening in our industry. It's happening with broadcasters who do radio talk shows. I probably take it to the edge and sometimes beyond because I've been in this business a long time and I remember when freedom of expression meant freedom of expression. And my feelings are hurt quite regularly and I don't run to a human rights tribunal. Maybe I have the right, maybe I don't. Maybe this case with Mike Ward is a, is a tribunal case. I don't know, but the tribunals aren't real courts, are they? Well, they are courts. They're in Quebec, it's part of the Quebec courts. So oh, it is. Question. It's a real okay. judge, it's a real court. But the problem is, the ju- when you create a specialized tribunal whose sole jurisdiction is to find violation of equality rights, right. things like gender, handicap, etc., right. it almost inevitably develops a jurisprudence which is very hawkish in those things, and which uh, does not give as much weight, or any weight at all, really, to freedom of expression. And before you know it, uh, you're going to have a, a, a society uh, which is... Uh, uh, very limited. Now, remember, they also do not necessarily protect those things which are not always politically correct. I don't know about the tribunal. The tribunal wasn't seized with that. But the Human Rights Commission was much more difficult about complaints uh, about discrimination against the Anglophones. They didn't take those complaints. They didn't no, think they there didn't, was a problem did Then there were about some other forms of discrimination. That's right. uh, if, Somebody said something about men. You know, men, they're awful, they're dreadful, they're all pigs. That won't get the tribunal, but try the opposite, and you'll be up before a court. And I'm, again, I, I'm not approving one or the other, and I'm not expressing any opinion whatsoever. I'm just saying that our freedom of expression is in danger. Yeah, well, I'm telling you this. You know that I lived in Quebec for almost 10 years and left just a few months ago, and I've said on this program... And recently, by the way, I try to I try to not hurt people's feelings personally when I do this program. Occasionally, I will, I'm sure, but I try not to necessarily. I don't go out of my way to do it. But what I, I felt that there was there was a really just a such an obvious under Quebec law denial of basic rights, basic uh, civil rights that that to me 
daily in Quebec, and there, there's an Anglophone, and there wasn't one person, not one person in officialdom who was willing to step up and say, we miss your green. We'll try to fix it for you. Nobody, not one, nobody. Well, I don't think Quebec is worse than anyone else, but I'm just pointing out to you that political correctness right. is one of the uh, measures, uh, one of the things by which all this is judged. Uh, the uh, Which cases are taken depends on the particular political correctness prevalent in our time. So if I say to Julius Gray, I think you're a blankety-blank-blank-blank-blank-blank guy, and you're this and that, and you're a man, and you're just, you're worthless because you're a male, and you say, that really defended me, that hurt my feelings, I couldn't sleep last night because of what Green said to me, I'm going to go to the Human Rights Tribunal and try to get some redress for this, they're going to tell you to go away. Possibly. And if they don't, they should. The only thing is, I also think they should tell the opposite to, to go away if a remark like that is made. I think people, when there is a remark made, people are free to answer and other people are free to criticize. Right. But, you know, comedy, comedy was used under Hitler and under Stalin as a way of, 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 of letting certain things out. And restricting comedy is really quite a, 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 a far-reaching idea. So it's a selective application a violation of freedom of expression. It's it's selectively applied. If you're if you're the, if if you if you fall into a category, who, which which the judges and the system deems uh, needs protection, they're going to they're going to act on that. If you don't, more than likely not. Julius Gray, constitutional lawyer in Montreal, representing Mike Ward, the comedian, who's known to be a challenging type of comedian at the uh, Just for Laughs Festival. He was in the Just for Laughs Nasty Show Thursday night and last night, I believe. And uh, Human Rights Tribunal in Quebec has awarded $42,000 total damages against Mike Ward for what he said about Jeremy Gabriel, a child singer with disabilities. So, Julius, how do you, uh, what are your options as a lawyer to challenge the Human Rights Tribunal? What do you do? Well, the, the, uh, because it's a, a real court, the appeal is to the Court of Appeal. It is a court, like, like the, it is a part of the provincial court in certain ways. So there's a motion for leave, which I am not particularly worried about, but afterwards, the merits before the Court of Appeal, uh, one would have to uh, persuade a panel of three of the highest judges in Quebec that this is not right. And uh, one of the things that one has to point out is that freedom of expression is what I call an orphan freedom. Everybody says, oh, it's important, it's nice. But everybody puts their own pet project ahead of freedom of expression, whether it's ethnic, religious, uh, handicap, uh, uh, gender, uh, uh, sexual orientation. Everything comes ahead of freedom of expression. But in fact, we can't change anything in society unless we have freedom of expression. And you never know what society will consider afterwards to have been very important. And uh, maybe we are repressing, especially when it comes to artistic freedom, we are repressing things that are crucial to us. Okay. Julius, I do appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Almost good talking to you. All the best. Julius Gray, constitutional lawyer in Montreal. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. We have this terrible situation in Munich, Germany, yesterday, with nine people killed, 23 wounded, by an 18-year-old teenager who somehow got his hands on a 9-millimeter Glock and 300 rounds. So here's what Reuters 
just released, the news agency just released a few minutes ago, a German-Iranian teenager who shot dead nine people in Munich was a deranged lone gunman obsessed with mass killings who drew no inspiration from Islamist militancy, police said. The 18-year-old, born and raised locally, opened fire near a busy shopping mall on Friday evening, triggering a lockdown in the Bavarian state capital. Seven of his victims were themselves teenagers who police say he may have lured to their deaths via a hacked Facebook account on what was the fifth anniversary of twin attacks by Norwegian mass murderer Anders Breivik that killed 77 people. The Munich shooting, in which a further 27 people were wounded, some seriously, was the third act of violence against civilians in Western Europe and the second in southern Germany in eight days. The Bavarian State Crime Office President, Robert Heimberger, said the gunman, who German media named as Ali David Sonbali, was carrying more than 300 bullets in his backpack and pistol when he was later found dead of a gunshot wound. Following a police search of the attacker's room, where a book on teenage shooting sprees was discovered, Munich Police Chief Hubertus Andre all but ruled out an Islamist militant link in the attack. Based on the searches, there are no indications whatsoever there's a connection to Islamist state or to the issue of refugees, he told a news conference. Documents on on the shooting spree were found, so the perpetrator obviously researched this subject intensively. So that's from Reuters. And that just moved just minutes ago. Uh, But on Monday, there was a a terror attack on a German train, and it was carried out by an individual who was part of the the, um, refugee and... um, and, um, It was just a refugee movement into, uh, into, into Western Europe. And so... This individual was waiting in a, in a train bathroom and attacked people with an axe and a knife and very seriously injured four people. And then, of course, there was Nice. So people are worried. People are scared. We asked you last weekend whether what happened in Nice, and we spoke with Mark Armstrong from Global News, who was in Nice, um, whether it would change your plans and what you were doing, where you would go, how you'd live, where you'd get take your vacations, what you just do on a daily basis. And we had a lot of responses from people saying, yeah, it, it will change how I do things and where I go and what I consider doing. I want you to listen to a conversation I had with Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, just recently retired as the commanding officer of Canada's National Counterterrorism Military Unit, Joint Task Force 2, the Special Forces Unit about the issue of terrorism and about what may come next and what we need to think about. Have a listen. Could you please put into context where we are now as far as the terror war on us is concerned? We, we, we saw the, a truck used in, in Nice. That's, I think, the first time that it's been used in Europe, the truck like that, but it's not uncommon for trucks to be used in such a manner in the Middle East. Where are we in this in this war? Where we are again today, we see these these tactical strikes using what's known as dual use technology. So you have these non-state extremist actors now having access to something that, in regular day life, like a bus, like a truck, um, can be in the wrong hands and with the the wrong mind behind the wheel turned into something that uh, just delivers a, a devastating 
84 uh, killed, uh, hundreds wounded, um, as we saw in Nice. It's just it's the use of dual-use technology now. The people that, are, quite frankly, are just sick. So, Colonel Day, what do you do? The question that everyone is asking is, what do we do to stop them? What what has to be done in order to stop this from going on? And are the, I call them political leaders, are the political leaders doing all that they can, all that is necessary, to in fact create the dynamic to stop them? Well, politically, and, and you've, you've hit on it, Roy, this is a political problem, it's a societal problem, but I think one of the ways we can try and uh, preempt some of these, these attacks is, resolve the dilemma between the intelligence uh, indicators and the evidentiary requirements to prosecute in a court of law. So currently what you have in most Western countries is you cannot, you cannot do preventative arrests if you know someone has, has, is thinking about something. How do you move from preventative arrests uh, based on an intelligence feed to where it crosses the thresholds where it is actually evidence where you can prosecute? And this is the dilemma of our times. Because we don't want to get into thought crimes and hate crimes uh, and that, that fine line and that gray area between these, but this is the only way to get in front of some of these individuals who, for the most part, are on the law enforcement intelligence radars. We have, uh, we have a military for a reason. And the military is to, to, to defend our way of life, to defend our country, to project our, our national willingness to do so. Um, you headed the, the, the really pointy end of that uh, of that spear if you will uh, joint task force two do we do we not have do we have an obligation to do more than we're doing do we have the capacity to do do more than we're doing and if we're not doing more than we're doing now are we unnecessarily putting canadians at risk well that's again another great question roy and when we look across the middle east and the 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 chasm between the islamic um, ideology between Sunnis and Shias, which is really where we're seeing most of these, these threats come from. Um, unless we are prepared as a Western uh, nation to go in and reoccupy the Middle East and try and rebuild some of those institutions, there is actually no military solution to, to terrorism. It's a law enforcement, a societal problem. So do I think we're doing enough? I've said many times we are not. I, I think we have to get those special operations forces partnered up with a coalition of right age of right uh, nations and go in there and attack the nodes and take apart these terrorist networks. And to do that, you can't put big army maneuver, big pieces on the ground. You need those for training, don't get me wrong. But you need to get on the offensive and go after ISIS, go after Al-Shabaab, go after these terrorist organizations wherever they live, take them apart. If you cannot capture them to prosecute them, then we must unfortunately kill them and their leaders. Colonel Dave, that is not done. I had an interesting question sent to me by a, a lady who identified herself as being older. That's what she wrote in her email. I'm older, she wrote. And her question was, if we don't do what we need to do, can we lose this? Well, I, I don't think we can lose it unless, uh, um, unless we allow our societies to shift too far where we become police states or we become less than that pluralistic society that we'd like to represent across the West. So terrorism is not an existential threat to our way of life unless, unless we allow it to be. But we've got to, for the safety, security, and, and prosperity of our nation, like I said before, get on this, stay on it, and to continue to remain vigilant. Empower those police officers, intelligence agencies, and special operations folks to get out there and where required, preventively arrest individuals who do not conform to our societal norms. 
And if we don't do that, we know what the con- we've already seen what the consequences will be, will continue to be. And, and so it's imperative that the political leaders set aside the political consideration and do what's necessary. So. I, I absolutely agree with you. This, is a, this should be a nonpartisan, you know, it is the conflict of our time. How do we deal with this? So again, the, the safety and prosperity of, of Canadians and Western, Westerners in general are secured. And uh, look at Bill C-51. Was it perfect? No. Was it better than what we currently have? Absolutely. And this is still now hung up under the new government. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Muslims will vote for Donald Trump in the United States in the upcoming election. This is the same man who said he would halt immigration to the U.S. by Muslims. So why would any Muslim in the U.S. support Donald Trump? Sabah Ahmed is the president of the Republican Muslim Coalition in the United States. She met with Donald Trump and his vice presidential pick, Mike Spence, uh, over the last few days during the Republican convention. And uh, she joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Coros Radio Network. Ms. Ahmed, thank you very much for the time. Thank you for having me. What do you like about Donald Trump and his running mate for Vice President Mike Spence? Enough so that you would vote for Donald Trump, knowing he's insisted on banning Muslims from entering the United States for some period of time, as he said in quoting him, until we know what the hell is going on. Right. But he never mentioned the Muslim ban in his acceptance speech. He talked about national security concerns from specific countries um, that are state sponsors of terrorism. And we do know that ISIS is trying to infiltrate uh, various programs. They are trying, they've been trying to get into Europe and they have caused havoc there. And there are serious challenges about uh, the possibility of them coming to the United States. So uh, in terms of the refugees from various countries, I think, you know, we ought to do something about the war and the killing of 400,000 people in the last few years. I think that's a bigger problem than just, you know, accepting a few thousands and bringing them here for humanitarian aid. I think we have serious foreign policy challenges with the war in Libya, Syria, Iraq. I think the whole Middle East is in crisis because of failed democratic policies in the last few years. Yeah, and so, I hope that a Republican leader would be able to stabilize Middle East and hopefully bring some peace to the world. So the uh, the Democrats under President Obama and under the stewardship of Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State have had ample opportunity, if I hear you correctly, to address the issue in Syria. And, of course, President Obama did draw that 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 virtual red line Right, uh, exactly. which, which he then immediately ignored. Enforced. Exactly. They've never enforced their red lines. He weakened the American leadership. The United States used to be known for its world power and how when we say something, we'll do it. I, I, um, but I've been very disappointed by Obama administration policies towards Assad. The whole crisis in creating of ISIS and, you know, pulling out of Iraq uh, and then all of a sudden now, you know, underestimating the threat faced from ISIS and then, like, now causing more problems by just bringing in a few refugees and just I, I think Obama administration policies have revolved around drone strikes and they've actually killed more people in um, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, other places. Um, but I don't think just bombing people is a solution. You have to address, you have to have strong leadership and you have to address the underlying concerns. If you say if somebody uses chemical weapons, you will go after them. You should do that. I mean, why? And he's still supporting Assad regime because he's still in power. 
and you know there's a huge crisis there and that's just one issue i mean uh, there's a whole list of different issues with my democratic failed policies and i mean trump is not may not be the ideal candidate but he is strong and he is uh, he wants to help america and uh, in the last few days i was at the rnc and i was very impressed by the way that they are trying to solve the problems they want to unite america they want to address the major concerns. What I really like about his campaign are his economic policies and his uh, business background, how he knows how to turn things around in a failing business and how to create jobs and how to put Americans to work and how to revitalize America. That message of hope and vision for America is what I saw in the Republicans. Whereas with Democrats, I see the same policies being uh, continued under Hillary Clinton. I don't see any additional vision for America. Ms. Ahmed, what was it like for you at the Republican convention? Did you meet resentment because you're a, a Muslim woman, or were you accepted? No, I felt very much very accepted and welcomed by a lot of Republicans. People were randomly that I didn't even know were just walking around, coming up, taking pictures. They were so happy to see Muslims there. They're like, you know, we've been struggling to see Muslims sh- you know, show up and condemn terrorism and just you know, be part of the solutions. Nobody has the right solutions, but I just think and believe that Muslim Americans need to get involved within the Republican Party, and we need to be at the table. We, the reason uh, there are some ignorant comments being made about Islam or Muslims is because Muslims aren't there to refute them or educate them. I had a fabulous opportunity to meet with a lot of the elected officials and even Newt Gingrich, who had made some comments about Sharia. And I mean, I had an open and frank discussion, but I was surprised that I was one of the first ones who did that. I mean, I'm surprised Muslim American leadership has failed in engaging the Republican leaders and addressing it head on. I mean, we can't shut it all out. We can't afford to be partisan, especially given the challenges we face. I think we need to come together as Americans and provide the solutions and engage in conversations with Republicans. And hopefully, I'm quite confident that Trump will win the White House this November. Yeah, I think he will, too. Yeah, but yeah. So, so what, what, what's really happening, I think, and particularly has happened over the last year and a half, is that the terrorists, terrorist organizations, are defining Islam. Exactly. And that does not need to happen. I don't want my religion be, being defined by terrorists. You know, the vast majority of 1.7 billion Muslims are peaceful citizens. But any time you hear about Islam is after a terror attack. And they have hijacked our religion, our faith. And I think it's Muslim Americans needs to step up and provide the leadership and take that narrative back from them. And the counter ideology has to come from peaceful Muslims. It's not people are perverting the teachings of Islam to justify their criminal atrocities. They're never going to be able to win in this because they know basics of Islam strongly condemn terrorism and taking of innocent life. And so if you use Islamic teachings to counter their narrative, that's what's going to win the war. It's not going to be through bombs or drone attacks or drone strikes or whatever. And so from that perspective, I mean, I've been very disappointed in Obama administration policies. Last week was a fresh breath of air. It was like my first time attending a Republican convention, and I had uh, uh, second thoughts about going, but after I was there, I had a great time. I met a lot of people. Okay, Ms. Ms. Ahmed, I'm going to have to stop you only because of the clock, which is our constant uh, sort of um, breaks for us, but I hope you'll come back on the program. Sure, yeah, and thanks for giving us a chance to with our... Absolutely. We'll talk to you again. Thank you.
Sure. Uh, that is uh, Sabah Ahmed. She's the president of the Republican Muslim Coalition in the United States. So polling shows 11% of Muslims in the United States are now prepared to vote for Donald Trump. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Thursday night, Thursday night was Donald Trump's victory. And he's now officially the nominee of the Republican Party for president of the United States for POTUS. And I, I received email after email after email after email. So happy, Canadians, so happy that Donald Trump is going to be the next president of the United States. There doesn't seem to be any doubt in the minds of people who send me emails. No, no, no. It's, it's Hillary Clinton and the Democrats don't even exist for many people who send me emails. It's like it's already done. It's like Thursday night was the election and the rest of it doesn't matter. I want you to remember Donald Trump is running for president of the United States, not president of Canada. And his interests are the United States, not Canada. He will have an America first policy, not a Canada first policy. I know there are many people who are following Donald Trump, who love Donald Trump, who chase Donald Trump uh, metaphorically because he's not the establishment. And, and it's th- that populist sentiment we've talked about on this program. It's what, it's what allowed Brexit to win. People are just fed up with the status quo, with the uh, same old, same old. And they're fighting back. Here are a few things. We're going to talk to our good friend, Fran Coombs, from Rasmussen Polling. He's standing by, and Fran's been so great with us, giving us his time through the primaries. I want you to listen to a few things that Donald Trump said first, though, on Thursday night. Um, Let's hear what he had to say about manufacturing jobs in the United States. Listen. America has lost nearly one-third of its manufacturing jobs since 1997, following the enactment of disastrous trade deals supported by Bill and Hillary Clinton. Remember, it was Bill Clinton who signed NAFTA, one of the worst economic deals ever made by our country or, frankly, any other country. Never, ever again. So there, that was NAFTA, like the North America Free Trade Agreement, right? Canada, United States, Mexico, north to south. Never, ever again. Here's more of what Donald Trump said on Thursday night about trade agreements that he says hurt American workers. Listen. I pledge to never sign any trade agreement that hurts our workers or that diminishes our freedom and our independence. We will never, ever sign bad trade deals. America first again. America first. Get it? America first again. America first. He's not in this for Canada. I know you love him. A lot of you love him. But he's not in it for Canada. He's in it for the United States. We have our leader, Justin Trudeau. Yeah. And and I asked a question on Twitter the other day about Donald Trump versus Justin Trudeau, and it all led up. And that question is going to be part of a segment that we'll do tomorrow. We have our leader at Justin—well, it's not at Justin. Yeah, it's at Justin Trudeau on Twitter. 
Here's more of what uh, of what Donald Trump had to say about dealing with individual countries, and that would include us. Listen. Instead, I will make individual deals with individual countries. No longer will we enter into these massive transactions with many countries that are thousands of pages long and which no one from our country even reads or understands. We are going to enforce all trade violations against any country that cheats. This includes stopping China's outrageous theft of intellectual property, along with their illegal product dumping and their devastating currency manipulation. They are the greatest that ever came about. They are the greatest currency manipulators ever. This does not sound like a man who has on his mind anything but America first. And then he continues, so the last thing I'm going to play for you before we talk to Fran Coombs, he continues talking about China, and then NAFTA enters the picture again. Listen. Our horrible trade agreements with China and many others will be totally renegotiated. That includes renegotiating NAFTA to get a much better deal for America and we'll walk away if we don't get that kind of a deal. Our country is going to start building and making things again. Donald Trump, Thursday night in Cleveland. You heard the cheering. We get a much better deal for America and walk away if we don't get that kind of deal. He's also said that he will try to negotiate a better deal with NAFTA, and if not, we'll tear it up in a minute. Fran Coombs joins me, managing editor for Rasmussen Polling in the United States and former editor of the Washington Times. This is not a friend. Good to have you back. Thank you for so many of your weekends, my friend. And this is not a man who is willing to, um, to compromise. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's. I, I think you can't imagine how many people I have said to me in the last 36 hours that they are just thrilled to be Americans again, and uh, they just can't wait. The downside of it is, of course, the guy still has to win the election. <laughs> so there may be a lot of disappointment in the land. Come November the 8th. Yeah. I mean, this is, we got to, you know, it's, it's still neck and neck in the polls. And... Uh, but it's it's fascinating, you know. I mean, that's that's what a lot of people have said to me. And yet, interestingly, when you look at the uh, the media spin, uh, which and the, the which comes straight out of the Democratic Party, uh, it's all you know Trump's dark message. Oh yeah, I saw that. So, and you know, it's like demagogue, vengeful. Yeah, you know. And meanwhile, you know, at the Democratic convention, they're going to be. I mean, here Trump's speech. I heard in Trump's speech, basically trying to unify the country, make the country strong again. But all week at the Democratic convention, we're going to hear about racism, sexism, anti-gay hysteria, blah de blah de blah. I mean, you know, it's just going to be one litany of division and how bad America is and stuff like that. And yet the media will tell us at the end of the week that the Democrats are the ones with the positive message and the Republicans are the one with the dark message. Um, how important was that four days in Cleveland to Donald Trump 
ultimately, and it didn't turn out to be the violent slugfest on the streets that was anticipated by many. Well, I think I think the fact that it wasn't uh, Roy is really the, is really the. I mean, basically, we have been told in this country, and of course, you all see the media too. I mean, we've been told for months that the never Trump people were going to disrupt the convention, that there was going to be rioting and massive protesters, and oh my God, they have open carry there, and people are going to be carrying guns and. I mean, it was just, it was almost like we expected a war to break out in Cleveland. Of course, nothing happened. The Never Trump thing completely fizzled out. I mean, Ted Cruz effectively destroyed his political career with that speech Wednesday night. Um, You know, nothing happened. Basically, it all turned into pretty much a Trump love fest. And so I, I would say from Trump, the standpoint of the Trump campaign, it just about could not have gone any better. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. So, the other day, I want you to I want you to put on the striped shirt and get your Fox 40 whistle, all right? So you put on your striped shirt and you get your Fox 40 whistle because every official in the world uses a Fox 40. Yeah, that's my best friend. Um, anyhow, put on the shirt. You decide. What the hell? What is it that, that Fox News says? Not different Fox. We report, you decide, something like that. So I'll steal that. So the other day I was at a Timmy's. And I want to tell you, I'm in the habit. Well, let, let me back this up. Let's talk about tipping for a second. It's something that some people do and others feel like they shouldn't have to. People who work in the hospitality industry don't make a hell of a lot of money. And they depend on tips to take them over the top, to give them that little extra, maybe even to just allow them to, you know, do some stuff. And there's some people who are so tight with their money, they'll, they'll go and order a coffee I want it this way, I want it that way. Give me three of those, one of those, seven of those, nine of those, and get it right. And then they don't think of leaving even a nickel. You know, it's just like, oh, there's my change, I'm out of here. I can't stand that. If I've had my card filled up, if somebody, and it still happens periodically, it startles you when somebody runs out of your car, right? You want to step on the gas and get out of there. Um, (laughs) But here comes somebody who's going to fill up your car. I always tip them. Always have. So uh, Earl's Restaurant in Calgary, Earl's, you'll have to help me out, those of you in Calgary, Earl's 67, right? They're going to have a mandatory 16% tip that will be charged to everybody, a hospitality charge, they're calling it, on your bill. So, And that's going to not just go to the wait staff. That's going to be shared by everybody in the restaurant. All the staff get to share the tip, and it's mandatory, 16% doesn't mean you can't give a little more than 16%. But there are people who will say, well, I don't think I should have to do that. So the other day I'm at Timmy's. And this dude standing in front of me. And you just know he's going to be a pain in the derriere. Just the, just the body language. Not good. He's looking from person to person. When's it my turn? When's it my turn? When's it my turn? Settle down, pal. Eventually, 
because they're busy and they're trying to take care of about 40 people at the same time, he gets called up. Well, Mr. Importance stands there and he um, orders donuts. Donuts. A dozen donuts. And he doesn't know what he wants. Oh, I'll have four of those. No. No, uh, I think me. Uh, yeah. Two of those, and uh, they don't look very fresh. Give me. No. Give me, give me the original ones. Four, four of those. Now, I'm standing behind this clown, and I'm starting to get irritated with him. Just order your donuts and get lost. Eventually, he gets through the uh, process. It was painful. Bear takes less time to give birth to a cub. Anyway, I don't know why that just popped into my head. Um, so now he gets his donuts, and, and now he's ordering bagels. He wants four bagels. And he wants breakfast bagels. He wants one with sausage. He wants one with... I'm listening to this, right? I mean, he's not very far away. He wants one with bacon. He wants... No, no, hold on. No, no. I know I said bacon. No, 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 no. This is him, not me. Uh, I want to have two with sausage. Oh, maybe not. Maybe I'll have... No, I'll have two, two with bacon. No, let's make it two with sausage. Poor young woman on the other end of the counter, side of the counter, putting up with this. So he finally gets that all squared away. Then... Usually it's the coffee first, right? This guy waited. He, he waited last for coffee. So he orders his coffees, and it takes four coffees, and it takes a long time as well. So they get his coffees, and he goes over. It's actually, they, they bring up the bill. I don't know what it was. Whatever a dozen donuts and four coffees and four bagels costs. Probably 20 bucks. And he gives them money, and I see he does not leave a tip. Zero zilch, nothing. And he goes over to the counter, and he's, you know, you go walk over to the right, and you wait for your your bagels. You got your donuts, you got your coffee. Now you're waiting for your 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 bagels. And I said in a fairly loud voice. My voice does carry at times. Young lady, I know politically incorrect. I'm sorry. I said, uh, young lady. I did. I said, young lady. Report me to the whoever you want to report me to. I said, uh, evidently the gentleman in front of me just forgot to tip you. So I'll take care of it for the both of us. And I give her $5. Now he heard every word that I said. He knew who I was referencing because he was only still about five feet away from me. I went over and I got my coffee. I got my coffee and I went over and I got my, my food. I only had one thing to get, so I got mine faster than he did. So I left the restaurant, left Tim Hortons. I went on the parking lot and I stood by my car, did not get in. And out he comes with his tray, with his coffees, with his bag, with his... Bagels in his box with his donuts. And I figure he's going to say something to me. Never looked at me. Just got into a minivan. And off he went. 
So I told a couple of friends of mine this, and they said, "What? A, you're a jerk. You have no right to do that. You have no right to embarrass somebody like that. You have no right. And I, just, I never expected that from my friends. I didn't know they were so uh, intellectually uh, incapacitated. I may have to find new friends. Anyway, was I right? Was I wrong? You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Do you tip? I was talking to my studio producer here who worked at Tim Hortons when she was in high school, and she I just fell off my chair. Well, almost. She said only 5 to 10% of people tip or tipped when she was there. Really? 90% of at least of people don't leave anything at all for, for people at the drive-thru or at the counter at, a, at, at, at Timmy's? What is wrong with you people? Victoria in Edmonton. Hi, Victoria. Hi. So go ahead. Yeah, um, I probably wouldn't have went about it the way that you did. I'd probably try to be a little more humble about it. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily call the guy out i probably just give a tip now i have to be honest i don't know if i've ever tipped at tim horton <laughs> i'm gonna be honest but i always tip at restaurants because i don't know i just i guess that's what you do but i never thought about it with coffee but i definitely will because i did work at a mr sub store myself and Nobody ever tipped me, and when I got, like, a $10 tip or someone did that, it just made my day. So, um, I well, don't think it was right to call the guy out because maybe he was buying coffee and donuts for someone, so he was already doing his good deed for the day. Well, <laughs> maybe, but, you know, you can leave. Okay, fine. You, you tell me I'm wrong. I'm not going to debate it. And I, and it's not, just like my friend said I was wrong. Everybody says I'm wrong. You know, I don't think you're wrong. You had a good heart behind it, but uh, I think that maybe you should have just gave her a tip and never said anything, <laughs> or at least okay. never let the guy hear. Well, it's just not me. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. It's just not me, but I get it. I understand. There's too many people telling me I'm wrong for me to sit here and say that I'm 100% right. So, But I'm, I but appreciate the... F- that, now I'll tip. So. What's that? Now I'll tip because of your story. All right, well, that's terrific. That's terrific, Victoria. Thanks for your call. All right. All right, thanks. bye-bye. Roy Green Show, Chorus Radio Network. Uh, okay, so my friends and Victoria, the first one, and then Andy, uh, everybody's telling me I'm wrong. Alex is in Oakville, Ontario. Alex, right or wrong? Roy, how old are you, man? Like, don't you have anything else better to do than wait outside of your car for somebody at Tim Hortons? to? No, to apparently not. With them? Apparently not. I, I think you got way too much time on your hands. Maybe you be. want to download Pokemon Go because you, you got to do something with your time. Man. Yeah, this maybe. Is, maybe you're right. You could I be. I am right because this is tipping at Tim Hortons. That's insane. Really? Why? Oh, he's gone. He's hung up. Andy, or whatever his name was. He, is he? You don't say that and then run away. We're having a conversation. I have too much time on my hands to play Pokemon Go and it's tipping that Tim Hortons is insane and then he hangs up. Okie dokie, pokey. Here's Paula in Oakville, Ontario. Hi, Paula. Hi. How you are know you? what? You you are right. You're half right because that guy that you were describing, he was he was 
he was a very annoying client, so she totally deserved a tip. Yeah, this guy who just called, you know he's never going to leave anybody a tip, and he's the guy who's going to pick out, he's the guy who's going to be changing the donut order 25 times. Exactly. So I think what you did was extremely nice, and like the other lady that called in, unfortunately I've never given a tip out of fast food, but I do tip at restaurants. Um, But I think that was a really, really nice thing that you did for for that girl. Well, thank you. Now, will you tip at fast food? <laughs> I, I, I suppose. It, it, you know what? If I if I give them a lot of trouble, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You know, just. But a, I'm, I'm pretty easygoing. Fifty cents, seventy-five cents. You know, a dollar. It all it all adds up for them. Yeah. But I appreciate your call, Paula. Thank you so very much. Okay. Have bye a great now. day. Bye bye. Paula's sort of on my side. Peter is in Lethbridge. Hi. Uh, hey, Peter. How are you, sir? Good, how are you? Good, sir. Are you going to give it to me on the neck or what? <laughs> no, I think in that case, I mean, if you, I find if I'm a pain in the, you know what, You're I'm right. indecisive and whatnot, I'll, I'll leave a tip. And it's, but I, I find a lot of it depends on how, you know, how I'm doing financially. Like, That's I'm fair. Doing, That's fair. If I'm doing well, then absolutely. But in tough times, it's kind of harder. The way I look at it, too, if, I mean, it's take or leave it. If you you either go there or you don't. Yeah, but so, this uh, this guy's order uh, was 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 pretty large, and and he was uh, he wasn't uh, he wasn't dressed he wasn't dressed in yesterday's clothes, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, in that case, absolutely. Oh, buddy, I gotta go. I'm out of time, Peter. Thank you for the call, sir. Okay. All the Thanks best. The Roy Green Show weekends from two to five on AM nine hundred CHML.